It's time for episode 194 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, June 21st, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast you can set your watch by. I'm Dan Morin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. Hello, Dan. I, yes, just set my watch here. Oh, wait, it sets itself because it's an Apple Watch. Woo! (laughs) Don't be such Uh, a fanboy. Come on! (laughs) Oh, you're right. I do have the Android 360 uh, butter dish watch. One on each uh, arm, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's really all the workout you need in a day. That is styling right there. Well, this is the (laughs) show where we talk about four tech topics with two illustrious, dare I say, guests. To my left... It is a, I, I think, a first-timer on the actual Clockwise show, that she, though she has graced uh, our presence on our old counter-Clockwise show, and she is the editor-in-chief of Super Cypher Windows, a frequent panelist of The Incomparable, and so many other fantastic pursuits. Lisa Schmeiser. Hi, Lisa. Hi. It's such a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are delighted to have you here. So pumped to have you, and also Hello. pumped <laughs> to have the person on my left, Master James Thompson, the iOS and Mac developer, the maker of PCalc with all its mini, mini icons and drag thing. How are you, James Thompson? I'm fine. Thank you for having me back for this new series now that Jason regenerated. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if Jason likes the idea of regenerating as Micah Sargent or... (laughs) Oh, what is there not to like? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't, right? Uh, All right. Well, I am today's designated co-host, so I'm going to lead us off. Uh, At WWC a couple weeks ago, Apple talked about lots of things, but one, one topic that didn't get a lot of attention was Watch OS 4. My question for you is... What features were you hoping for didn't maybe make the cut here? Lisa? Better Siri. Better Siri. I would really love... I'm serious. That's um, the number one source of embarrassment and frustration in using my watch is me lifting my wrist and and screaming, Hey, Siri! Hey, Siri! And having it say, I'll tap you when I'm ready. And um, (laughs) as a result, um, I can't use it like a stopwatch like I'd like to or as a timer like I'd like to. Um, My other complaint is slightly more fitness-related. And I want to caveat that while I'm really happy that the Watch Series 2 finally has swim workouts, um, the tracking software is not great, Bob. So, and, and I realize part of it's a limitation of engineering, but just to give you an example, when I went swimming on Monday, I did a 750 meter kickboard set completely not tracked in the watch because when the watch measures swimming workouts, it only measures arm movement. Mm. So it makes it very difficult to do kick drills or any type of other drill where you're, where you're working on your arms or your legs. And, um, I still find it very challenging to stop and start to do intervals, um, and, and other types of specific workout training in it. Hmm. I am, I'm going to have to agree. I think that, uh, Siri is quite a, a complicated little creature on Apple watch because literally just yesterday, uh, I, I didn't have my phone nearby and I didn't have the button that I typically use to turn off the lights in my office nearby. And so I thought, oh yeah, I've got this watch on my wrist that I never use for this because it always fails me. I'm going to use it because maybe it won't fail me this time. I lift up my wrist. I say the, the the key phrase, 
and the device spins and spins and spins and spins and then just stops doing what it was doing because it wouldn't load it up. Uh, it's it's frustrating. And I, I also, you know, I, I don't think this is going to come with this current hardware, but what I hope eventually does happen in the watchOS slash watch space is that we do get ambient time readouts so that we can always know what time it is, uh, even if our watch is in a weird position next to us on a wrist or is, uh, you know, it doesn't require that, that lift and turn motion that's a little, still a little too specific at times. But I burn off calories by shaking my arm wildly. <laughs> <laughs> From a developer point of view, the one thing I was hoping for, which is the same as last year and the year before that, was full UI kit access for third-party apps. Apps on the watch have to use WatchKit for their user interface. And while that's built on top of UI kit, it's a much more simplified environment. UI kit exists on the watch and Apple apps can use it, but not third parties. I'm assuming they want to control things for performance reasons, but it would be nice to have the flexibility. Uh, but having said that, I'm not actually really using apps on the watch, even my own. And I'm not sure if richer apps would help with that. Uh, from a user point of view, I'm not really sure what I would want. When the watch launched, I felt it did too much rather than too little. Uh, sleep monitoring would be interesting to me, but there's not really a good way to do that and keep the watch charged apart from having a separate day watch and night watch, which is a good way to double sales. But um, what I would really like my number one feature is I don't want the battery to swell up and pop the screen off the front of the watch. <laughs> At least... As I found out this week, uh, that turns out to be covered under the extended warranty for battery problems. Why well, is that a that's a watchOS feature? Wow, that's <laughs> I'd like to see that update. It's a remarkably specific request. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, good good su suggestions all around. I, I concur with the Siri and the uh, always on watch display. I think those would be big. My my thing that I came up this morning is as always rooted in you know things that happen to you, right? So this morning I woke up and I was feeling a little bit under the weather, and I thought, hey, you know, wouldn't it be great if all these vaunted health tracking things that Apple was talking about, they could somehow apply their machine learning algorithms and realize oh you know when this uh when all these different like uh stats start like pinging in this direction or whatever this person's probably gonna get sick soon and it could give you like a heads up and be like hey maybe you should up your vitamin c intake or drink more water or something like that like i think that would be a really cool implementation of health technology is trying to predict when people are going to get a cold or what have you and it would have saved me trouble this morning when i woke up and was like oh god why do i feel like i've been run over by a truck so tim if you're listening, get on that. Yes, do that. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to topic number two, which comes from Lisa. All right. Yesterday, Lenovo um, unveiled a new workstation called the, um, yeah, the ThinkStation P320 Tiny. Um, and the idea is that if you have a lot of cramped desk space, you can put this up with like three or four screens and you still have room for a keyboard or your elbows or a drink or, or your fidget device or whatever. But to me, the most interesting part of the device was them saying they're expanding their PC as a service program. And um, the thing that is really interesting about PC as a service is they are now saying, you know what, you do not have to worry about 
coming in, you don't have to worry about having an IT department set up your computer. You don't have to worry about an IT department um, doing web monitoring. You don't have to worry about Office 365 deployment or support. You don't have to worry about remote management. You don't have to worry about data storage. You don't have to worry about securing your data. You don't have to worry about data erasure, user configuration. We will do all of that for you for one low, low monthly fee. And again, I want to stress, not a new program because they rolled it out last year, but they're expanding the program. And I got to thinking that, wow, this is, um, this is a great way to eliminate a lot of IT jobs. And, <laughs> and, and more importantly, it's beginning, it's, it's, it's kind of perpetuating a growing model in tech where you have the people who make tech and figure out how it's going to work. And then you have what are basically an army of technicians who follow stuff in a manual. So my question to everybody on this podcast, um, what do you think about PCs as a service? Is this something you, you welcome as a user, or do you feel like it takes some of the control of your computing experience out of your hands? So I think in terms of uh, businesses, this is a really cool idea. Um, I can remember working at the startup that I worked at before I work where I do now. And we had someone, you know, a specialist that we had hired to come in and buy computers and provide support. But it was just kind of a local joint. And so they obviously had other clients and got really busy. And because they were not, you know, the the same people who were making the devices and knew all of the secret codes and secret handshakes you can do to make things work just how they need to, um, I think that it would be interesting to have this available to businesses, especially startup businesses who are kind of looking for a way to cut costs and uh, make sure that everything keeps up and running and is fresh. And I, I read here that it also includes like recycling and stuff like that. And I think that's very important because you don't want to see... Uh, people take this e-waste and just dispose of it in the wrong ways or have to spend a bunch of money to try and figure out how to do it the right way. So this is a cool idea. In terms of uh, PC as a service on a personal level, not something I'm particularly interested in unless it means that I can upgrade to like the latest MacBook Pro each year or something like that. That kind of sounds like a cool idea and something that I would certainly consider. What about you, James? Well, I'd never heard of this before I read the question. Uh, in a former life, before I became a full-time icon designer and occasional <laughs> app developer, yeah. I was a system administrator in my old computing science department at university. So I'm going to be slightly biased here. Uh, back then, for financial reasons, there was pressure to reduce the dedicated support team in the building and rely on the more general campus support stuff, which, while they were cheaper, they weren't immediately available and didn't have the local knowledge and experience of what was needed for the department. So this sounds more of the same, but much, much worse. Saving money, <laughs> yes, but at the expense of having people who aren't even part of your organization doing the IT support. And what's worse is it sounds like Lenovo will happily monitor your staff's email and web usage for you and presumably have full access to all the information stored on your computers. Now, given that Lenovo have been accused of installing spyware on their consumer PCs for, like, oh no. what, two or three times in a row now, it sounds like they're just turning that practice into a business model. I mean, imagine what would happen if this support network was compromised by bad actors who then had full admin privileges to your entire business. Or perhaps Lenovo are approached by the security services of any country who want to keep an eye on the activities of some legitimate business. I say no thank you. Um, of course, since some people only look at the bottom line on this stuff, I can see it being a resounding success. 
well, like like James, I have a background, a secret doc history in which I worked as an IT guy and uh, deployed a lot of computers for a large university in the Boston area. Um, and I kind of concur with James's assessment on this. I feel like, you know, relinquishing all that control is not a a comfortable feeling for people working in an IT department uh, and different places have such hugely different needs that I have trouble imagining that this is sort of a one size fits all approach would necessarily apply in a lot of places. Um, I, I totally concur that I can see why from the bottom line and I, man, I did enough reading on this that I went into the differences between CapEx and OpEx spending and uh, then my eyes started to glaze <laughs> over, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I can see the appeal of this. And, and as a user, um, you know, what it made me think of was I have been signed up for the iPhone upgrade plan for several years now. And, you know, that's more of a lease than having somebody manage uh, your devices for you. But there is certainly a convenience to not having to uh, figure out what am I going to do with this old phone every year, getting a new phone, paying it as a monthly fee rather than paying a big chunk of money once a year. Like, there's definitely an appeal in that scenario. But I do think the management part is true especially is is lenovo not still a primarily chinese-based company because yes yeah that that and, could also and I see, still primarily hardware but this you know right. it's i could see that being a potential wrinkle for a lot of companies that you know maybe are a little less <laughs> feel less good about outsourcing their uh management to a a foreign-based company yeah no the one thing we didn't really address um and to be fair it's because none of you were living in my head a couple years ago when i was sitting around <laughs> talking with a bunch <coughs> When I was sitting around talking with a bunch of CIOs, you know, whose job it is to figure out tech infrastructure for nationwide restaurant chains and nationwide retailers and things like that, uh, what they explained to me is that their IT department, IT operations are essentially centralized where, again, you have a whole class of people who figure out how this stuff is going to work. They're systems architects. Um, they're the guys who decide how to, how to write the software that's industry specific. They decide how to find out of the box solutions, customize them. And these are the kind of um, tech skills that keep you like employed and employable. And then on the other end, you have all the people in restaurants and shops and things like that who are like I can press a button and if the button doesn't work, I can call somebody who then drives out from a service center and takes care of it. And I thought, wow, the gulf between um, the technical aptitude of users and the technical aptitude of the people who design the systems is getting much, much bigger compared to the more hands-on DIY stuff of the 80s and 90s. And I wanted to see if anybody else perceives something along those lines or, you know, if this is just me being like remarkably paranoid about labor, about labor trends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good topic. Um, and it's now halftime, which means it's time to tell you about this week's sponsor. And this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron sets the highest quality standards for the community of over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. And by shipping the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, Blue Apron is reducing food waste, too. Their freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Choose from a variety of new recipes each week or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. Upcoming recipes include warm smoked trout and asparagus salad with fingerling potatoes and garlic croutons. I made this the other day. 
was pretty tasty. Spiced zucchini enchiladas with creamy lime and tomato rice. Elote-style vegetable tostadas with summer squash, poblano peppers, and cilantro rice. Peach honey glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes, collard greens, and Thai basil. And I guess that means it's just about lunchtime here because I'm pretty hungry now. <laughs> Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. They deliver to 99% of the continental United States. And there's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash clockwise. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Visit blueapron.com slash clockwise. We thank Blue Apron for their support. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Halftime is over. And our first topic of the second half comes from Mr. Micah Sargent. Oh, yeah. So uh, at WWDC this year, Apple announced some updates to live photos. So live photos came out a while back and they were like, yeah, if you press on your phone, then it will play an underlying video on kind of like the the past and future surrounding the photograph that you took. And it was okay, but eventually I turned it off. But there are some new fun animations coming there. So I am curious, uh, are you someone who uses live photos right now? Um, and do these poten- these animations potentially change your mind on using live photos? James, we'll start with you. Well, I have never really understood live photos. Uh, The only time I turn them on and take live photos is by accident. And I notice later on that I've hit the wrong button in the camera app at some point in the past and contaminated all my photos. Uh, Much as the same way as when I accidentally make them all square. Um, If I want a video, I'll take a video. If I want a still image, I'll take a still image. I don't want peanut butter in my chocolate. I mean, I do in that specific case, but that's my best 80s US pop culture reference. Um, I think partially it was tying live photo playback to 3D touch that bothered me. Like all things related to 3D touch, it made it invisible and difficult to trigger, and I just probably forgot about it. Um, these new animations look like they're trying to turn live photos into Vine or something like that, which is going to endear them even less to me, if I'm honest. Um, (laughs) Maybe I'm just not the target market here. Perhaps if I had a child or I was a child, this would appeal more. I mean, you kids with your snapbooks and your face grams. (laughs) Is is this what middle age feels like? I, I couldn't tell you, James. I'm still a young spring chicken over here. I'm a live photos fan. I actually really like it. It is occasionally infuriating to try and figure out. We were, uh, I, I have to think back to, um, at WWDC, we had our relay meetup. And at the end, we had a thing where they tried to take a live photo of all the hosts together. And it took like four times to be like, okay, do we start doing something now? But they haven't pressed the button yet. They're going to press the button because it's going to capture what's ahead of the button press. So, it is certainly weird in certain circumstances, but I like it a lot. It adds a lot of dynamism to shots. Um, I am excited about some of these new features, which seem pretty cool. To me, they, they mostly remind me of the Instagram uh, features that you can do with like Boomerang or, or other stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I imagine I'll end up using these and uh, I think I'll probably like them because I enjoy live photos. They're fun. Um, I, I'm glad that they are making them a little easier to use in iOS 11 by giving you things like selecting the keyframe boy, was that a mess not having that? Because I had a lot of pictures in my photo library that look like, hey, that's a picture of my shoes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I hope that getting them into and out of GIFs becomes even easier because sharing them with the world at large is kind of annoying right now. 
So you mentioned GIFs and social sharing, and those are the two best applications I can think of for live photos. Because, and I say this as a former grad student in communications technology and, and, and rhetoric even, um, it's pretty it seems pretty evident that we're moving towards more visual communication online and, and with each other, you know, like image, like Snapchat and sending photos. And this is kind of the next logical extension of that. So yes, make it easy to share and make it easy to do gifts. That said, I don't use them personally. Um, I look forward to my daughter teaching me how to do that <laughs> <laughs> because she is six and I feel like that's the target market. <laughs> and I, I honestly feel visually illiterate about the, about the best way to, to use it. So um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to wait for a child to teach me. Uh, so I I never really liked live photos when it was that previous format where you could press and kind of see the video play out on either end. And so I ended up turning it off. Um, and there are two reasons why I decided to turn it back on. And one is because of these new animations, and I'll speak on that really quickly in just a second. But the other one is the new high efficiency image format and the new uh, codec that Apple is using for both video and photo. Um, it, it turns out that the photos are, are run the same way and then they're just packaged in this high efficiency image format. Um, super interesting stuff that ends up making it so if there is a video embedded in the photo that you take, it doesn't take up as much space as it used to. So you still have plenty of space on your phone. So, you know, people would end up making the decision to shut that off because they needed to save space and it's getting a little bit easier to keep all that stuff uh, turned on. And then in terms of the, the animations, I really think that the bounce one is fun. And I shared a photo on Twitter uh, that was done up in the bounce style where it was kind of my dog and she had a, a bone in her mouth and she was looking over my shoulder and then coming back and I'm kind of, my eyes are kind of tracking her. And it's a little silly, you know, example of it, but I just see some potentially fun hijinks, especially as I'm taking photos of my pups um, and getting to see some, some fun little animations there. So I think Apple was smart to, to add some other options that will hopefully get people to re-enable it. And yeah, take some really cool photos of, of lights and stuff like that and see what live exposure might give you. All right, I guess that's the end of mine. Thank you all for your answers on that. And that means it is James's turn. So the outline had an interesting article this week about product security at Apple. And this was based on a leak of an employee briefing about stopping leaks. <laughs> Irony aside, do you enjoy leaks or do you prefer to be completely surprised by any new product announcements? Oh, just so surprised to find out there are leakers. Sad. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know, hey, I, I write about Apple stuff for a living. So obviously, to a certain extent, um, I'm going to follow those those leaks and those product, uh, you know, uh, uh, other sort of product rumors as they come out. Um, do I like being surprised by things? I definitely do. It's a pleasant surprise to to go to a keynote and really find out like, oh, wow, I didn't hear about any of this. And certainly this year, I felt like at WWC, they did a much better job of having products that had not been leaked. Like there were things they had talked about themselves, like an iMac Pro, for example, but nobody knew what it looked like. Uh, and there are a lot of other announcements in there that I felt like they did a pretty good job of keeping under wraps. Um, software has been better for them traditionally, but it, what was interesting to me, the most interesting thing about this uh, article to me was they said for the first time, uh, more leaks were coming from inside the Apple campus than from the supply chain. 
And that was startling to me. Not shocking and not surprising that Apple would double down on secrecy. I guess I feel like I'm conflicted on it, but I'm perfectly happy for, you know, this is their business, not mine. I'm going to take advantage of the leaks if they're there. But if they're not, it's not like I'm going to be super sad about it. I have a complicated relationship with leaks because on the one hand, you know, and, and I say this as a reporter, on the one hand, it's a great way to get information from um, from places that are otherwise disinclined to give it to you. On the other hand, you always have to ask yourself what the motivation of the leaker is. Mm-hmm. Um, what message do they want to send out there? Why are they trying to control the message? Why aren't they going through official channels? How are they benefiting from leaking? Like, you should always, always, always ask that question. Um, Again, as a tech reporter, I like leaks <laughs> in the sense that I'm like, yay, I can write about this ahead of time. Or if it's something really big, this gives you time to put it into more context, um, figure out how it, how it shapes the industry, things like that, as opposed to finding out during your keynote along with everybody else. That said, as a user, I'm not crazy about them, mostly because leaks tend to prompt a whole round of media coverage, which is mostly speculation and forecasting and a lot of chest beating from writers who desperately want to be the, the definitive take on something before it's even happened. And <laughs> and as a media consumer, it's a lot of work to filter out the crap. So, so um, TLDR, I'm 66% opposed to leaks, 33% in favor of them if they make my job easier. <laughs> I love the percentages. Um, you know, I honestly prefer <laughs> scallions to leaks. <laughs> oh, thank Micah. you. Thank you. Oh, Micah. Um, <laughs> come on, Dan. You're always the one. <laughs> That's my job. Stop stealing my job. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I think leaks can be fun, but I do enjoy. I I'm the the kid who never opened the present before Christmas time um, because I wanted to wait until then to to see what was you know going to be there and i really do like kind of getting um apple's take on things and i'll give you a perfect example uh mr micah got his hopes up so hard about the home pod thinking it was going to be this wonderful home automation assistant in home hub nonsense because of all of the leaks and a all of the rumors that hit before it happened. And then Apple took the stage and they're like, yo, we made a better Sonos. What do you think of that? And I was so disappointed because it wasn't more about the home automation stuff. And it was because of the dadgum leakers that I was kind of, uh, my, my expectations were shattered. So um, it's better to just, for me to just close my ears and go la 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 uh, whenever the leaks come around, except for the fact that yes, I also report on technology. So there's no way to really do that. Yeah, I mean, I've been on both sides of this myself. When I was at Apple in the late 90s and the dock and the whole new Aqua user interface was one of the biggest secrets and surprises in the macOS 10 reveal, it was made very clear to me then that I wasn't allowed to tell anybody, even my own partner, what I was working on. I totally did tell her anyway, though, because she had a right to know what all the stress and late nights were actually for. But even my own manager at Apple wasn't officially allowed to know what I was working on. And none of that stuff leaked at all. Still, Apple, even back then, was so compartmentalized and obsessed with secrets that as Apple employees, we would read the rumor websites trying to find out what was going on inside our own company. You know, we found out that an entire line of nearly finished Macs had been canceled that way. We found out about planned layoffs that way. So from the outside, I'm torn. As a consumer, I like a keynote that blows me away with some entirely new product that there hasn't been a single rumor of. But as a developer, I like the little leaks that point to where the company is going on something or things that make my job easier. 
Case in point, the split screen iPad stuff had been rumored for a good year before it appeared. And so I'd optimized my code early for that and it saved me months of work down the line. And once I did get an unofficial heads up that I was going to be Sherlocked in a keynote, which was very nice that they softened the blow in that way. Um, so I like surprises, I guess, just not the ones that impact my business. Also, Apple marketing seems to strategically leak itself to trusted third parties, but I guess that's not really a leak. But I do feel bad for any of the employees whose stuff leaks unintentionally. Uh, I, Intentional I'm- leaks are scallions. <sighs> <laughs> I uh, I enjoyed James possibly looking at rumor sites to try and figure out what the heck he was working on. What am I doing? <laughs> that, that actually did happen. That happened. I, I was working on the iMac and I didn't know it. Oh, wow. Well, uh, Ooh, wow. well done. Well done. Uh, that is our last topic, except we have time for a bonus topic today, which is brought to you by us. Because we like you guys. Uh, my bonus topic today, question for you guys is, do you collect anything intentionally like not dust or <laughs> that kind of stuff do you, have, you ever, been, ever been a collector of anything lisa i have started getting obsessed with collecting old magazine runs on ebay especially from the 80s and 90s oh yeah i no i don't think i really collect anything uh no no sadly not, no pokemon no, I'm, like, I'm i right i feel feel a little uh sad and distraught that i don't have a collection of oh, anything other do than, not like, Trust me, don't. It's, it's no, okay. it's no, no, it's okay. It's okay. You're not keeping notes in Evernote then on which issues you're missing for specific magazines. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. James? So um, the faint sound you hear is my wife <laughs> laughing slash crying in the next room. Um, as I talk to you now, there are 320 Lego minifigures looking at me from inside picture frames on the wall of my office. Their eyes follow you. But I wouldn't call that a collection. That is art. (laughs) I try not to collect things, but I was prompted to do this question as I was sorting through an old collection of magic cards to find out which of them are worth money and I can sell now. So there you go. Don't collect stuff. It just takes up room. That's my that's my message for you today. Uh, That's the end of the show. We all we only have to thank our guest Lisa Schmeiser. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, this was a pleasure. I'm going to have to stretch to do better next time. (laughs) And James, thank you for for being here as well. Thank you for having me, Replacement Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Micah, we've put another show in the ground, as it were. We we sure have, man. It's, it's in the ground, but it keeps on ticking, right? Yeah, it's it's planted right next to those leaks. Uh, so until next week, we just remind you: watch what you say, <laughs> and keep watching the clock.